All right, Luke 15, let's read the chapter and then let's pray. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him uh, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, so he spoke this parable, this parable to them saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it, And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with wasteful, prodigal living. When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach, his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off... <clears throat> When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him 
and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he, is, um, because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Uh, Let's pray. Father, Father, we pray to you, our good Father. And you are so good. Lord, I am just struck with the reality that you have received us. Each of us wasteful prodigals in our own way. Lord, speak to us through your word, I pray. That we might be about your business in the pursuit of your kingdom in obedience to your way, Father. Because all that we have is truly yours. All that we have is yours, Father. Be honored. Teach us. Lead us in your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, back up with me to um, verse 1. Chapter 15. This is three parables, essentially, in this section here. Uh, And uh, each one of them um, kind of narrows the scope here. Uh, We'll address that in just a little bit. But um, before we get into that, I want to remind you of this overarching narrative that we find uh, not only in Luke's Gospel, in the Gospel stories of Jesus coming to the nation of Israel and presenting himself as Messiah, and the, the overall nation rejecting him. Okay. Uh, some believe, yes, God always has a remnant, and Paul addresses that in the book of Romans. Uh, but through their rejection, the Messiah is crucified as it was foretold. And then this great news of God's blessing and God's, God's wonderful kingdom and his forgiveness and acceptance of sinners was brought not only to Israel, but to all of the nations right? through their rejection. Again, this is something that Paul uh, brings up in his letter to the Roman church. Um, so what we're watching in the middle of this 
uh, text as we continue to go through it, is this rejection happening. Over and over and over again, we hear Jesus uh, saying like things like in a couple of chapters before this, in chapter 15, or <laughs> chapter 13, rather, Jesus saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. We hear Jesus pleading with Israel to come to him, to uh, believe in him, and a few do. Many do not. And judgment is pronounced on the nation, and that judgment would, would fall, uh, really, uh, as Jesus said, within a generation. It was 40 years after Jesus' crucifixion, about 40 years after Jesus' crucifixion, that uh, the temple itself was destroyed by Titus Vespasian. And he was a Roman general at the time. Eventually, uh, he would become emperor uh, of the Roman Empire. Jesus is presenting to the nation the very kingdom of God. One that he wants them to enter into. And a few do. Some do. I don't want you to miss that, right? The early church all began with Jewish believers. Okay? And when we can get to the book of Acts, we'll see the unfolding of the acceptance, not only of, of uh, certainly the Jews, uh, but then also of uh, Samaritans, and then also of uh, non-Jews or Gentiles, as uh, the, the uh, Jews would refer to all of the nations, the Goyim, the Gentiles. The three parables that Jesus tells us here and uh, speaks here in Luke 15 um, echo one point. There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. <laughs> That's it. It's a very simple, straightforward message, right? Remember repentance, the Greek word for repentance, the New Testament uh, letters and books were written in the common Greek language of the first century. The word there is metanoia, which means to change your mind, to repent. Okay. Um, let's read through them again and um, examine each one for a sec, and then hopefully summarize all of it with one, one main point, which is obviously, uh, I, uh, it's, it's really so simple. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The chapter begins uh, like this. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. This is one of those themes we find in the scriptures that I think is delightful. Many of the religious leaders outright rejected Jesus and held incredible hostility toward him. But the common people, <laughs> the people that were essentially hated by much of Jewish society, the tax collectors and sinners, certainly by Jewish religious society, tax collectors would have been working for the Roman oppressors uh, who were over the nation of Israel at this time. They were employed by them collecting taxes, and some abused that authority. They had the liberty to do so at times, and some did. They were frequently considered to be traitors to the nation of Israel because they were working for the Roman occupying authorities. Okay? They were a despised class of people, the tax collectors and, generally speaking, sinners. <laughs> That's a pretty broad category, right? <laughs> <clears throat> But it's important that you remember things like, when we get to John's Gospel, how the religious leaders addressed 
some of the like the the man who was born blind and saying like you were born in sin we're, we're not sinners like you <laughs> you need to understand the 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 viewpoint of uh, some of the religious class, the religious leaders, as being above, over, uh, beyond the the common sinning class of people. <laughs> okay, you you little peons, you know, we're we're above you guys. We're not like you, is the the concept or the idea, and it was backed up by it was reinforced by the idea of blessing, looking like um, looking like um, money, looking like power or honor or prestige. All of that would be. All of that would be what it looked like to be blessed, at least in the mindset of the religious leaders uh, at the time. And because that was what was being taught, uh, that was also true uh, then, therefore, of the common people. Frequently the idea was, if you had been blessed by God, it meant that you either had prominence or prestige or you had a lot of money. That's what God's blessing looked like. Jesus, of course, came and shattered that false concept reminding us that God's kingdom isn't like the kingdoms of the world. In his kingdom, the first is last, and the last is first. If you would be great in his kingdom, you would make yourself the servant of all. This kingdom of the heavens is not like any of the kingdoms of men. All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. (laughs) Uh, I internalize this. And I think, do quote unquote tax collectors and sinners, are they interested in hearing me? <laughs> or do they run from me? <laughs> what, kind of, um, what kind of relationship do I have with those outside of the body, with those outside of the church? What does that look like? I don't want to be seen as uh, like the um, Pharisees who Jesus frequently called hypocrites, actors, pretenders. Looked one way on the outside, but they were different inside. They were like whitewashed tombs, Jesus said, full of dead men's bones. It's a horrifying description, and yet describes uh, frequently um, religious people who look a particular way on the outside, but inside they're, they're full of sin. The idea Jesus gave is that both should be cleansed, both the inside and the outside, that we would be consistent. Another way I suppose to say that would be authentic, that we would not be pretenders, right? The word hypocrite, the Greek word that's used there uh, for hypocrite, hypocrites, is the word for an actor, person who pretends to be something or not, right? It's an actor, right? <clears throat> Jesus didn't use it in a kind way. He wasn't like, oh, look at those cool actors. (laughs) He used it as a rebuke to the religious leaders who pretended to be something they were not. This often brought um, Jesus' acceptance of tax collectors and sinners and their desire to hear him and to be near him. Do you hear that? The sinners drew near to him to hear him. They wanted to hear the message that Jesus brought because it was good news for sinners. God's kingdom is, is at hand. Available to anyone who will repent, who will change their mind and believe this good news. Verse 2 says, The Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. <laughs> Let that be the complaint 
<laughs> of the religious people to us, right? Let that be the complaint uh, of the of the uh, acting religious people to us. Well, don't hang out with those people because look at the people that that hang out with them. <laughs> God, let it be true. <clears throat> it was true of our king. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Ooh, right? Like, <laughs> what a terrible accusation, right? Oh, but you see, it was a terrible accusation to those religious pretenders. What Jesus was doing was offensive. It was horrifying to them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. I'm so glad he receives sinners and eats with them. You know why? Because that's the only reason why I get to be in this kingdom. (laughs) That's really the root of it. I can only be a part of this kingdom because he does this thing. Because he receives sinners. Our God, as Paul says again in his letter to the Roman church, he is a God who justifies the ungodly. That is the good news. Not that there is a new set of religious rules that we ought to keep in order to attain righteousness, but rather that he offers the gift of his own righteousness to all those who would cry out to him, who would, who would lay their trust in him alone. That's why it's good news, because it's not more work for you to do. You've already failed all the work. That's kind of the point. But he will rescue you and come to live inside of you and birth his kingdom in, in you in a particular way that changes us, not just on the outside, but changes us on the inside so that we love to do what is right. Not so that we can be seen as right. In fact, you and I who follow Jesus, we are to be people who love to do what is right even when no one sees. We have a good king who sees and who responds openly. This man receives sinners and eats with them. That was the accusation they laid at him. And to them it was horrifying. To you and I, I hope that's great news. (laughs) I'm only a part of this kingdom because he receives sinners and eats with us. So he spoke this parable to them saying, he begins these three parables now. First one, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Very simple illustration easily understood by shepherds by those who tend animals you lose one of one of yours you leave the others where they are safely you go and you find the one that's lost it's very simple and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing when he comes home he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. That last phrase, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 just persons who need no repentance. This is Jesus' application of his parable. I want you to remember what parables are. They are uh, natural illustrations or stories uh, that are thrown aside a spiritual point. Okay? Uh, typically, parables have one general point that, that they're uh, being used to make. Jesus identifies what the point is here, that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 
just persons who need no repentance. Immediately, I have to examine myself and say, where do I stand in that equation? Would I think of myself as one who needs no repentance? (laughs) Immediately, it's important that we examine our own lives. Or am I one, in fact, a sinner? A sinner who must repent. The first illustration Jesus gives us uh, speaks of a hundred sheep, 99 just, and one lost. One to 99. Yeah, one to 99. A hundred total, one to 99. Now the, the next parable. Or what woman? Here's the second story illustrating the exact same point. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, these silver coins are literally uh, drachmas. Um, uh, it is uh, one of the footnotes in my Bible mentions that uh, sometimes uh, these drachmas would be worn on a, uh, as a garland on a woman's necklace, uh, some married women's necklaces. Uh, they had ten drachmas on them. Um, so what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, who changes their mind. Repents. Jesus shows us that the application of the second illustration is the same as the first. There's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. There's a couple of obvious things. I hope that you take note of them. One is that sinners ought to repent. (laughs) We ought to change our mind. The other is that there is joy in heaven. Joy in the heavens over every sinner who changes their mind. This is one of the problems with uh, the prophets of Israel as they came to Israel, the false prophets, rather, um, that came to Israel and they're rebuked by Jeremiah uh, and others, others of the true prophets of God, who came to the people and said, peace, peace, but there was no peace. They said, oh, follow what's in your heart, but that wasn't the command of God. (laughs) The command of God was that they repent, that they turn to him. And the same is true today. There's still false prophets who come and say, oh, oh, you can have peace with God. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to change your mind. Just keep doing whatever you want to. There is peace with God. But that was never the message of the cross. It was the, never the message of God's kingdom. It certainly isn't the message, therefore, of Jesus. We have, <laughs> we have in our sin caused this world to spiral out of control. <laughs> the world is a mess because I am in it. And I have sinned. And my sin has consequences and yours does too. And that of your parents and their parents and theirs 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 all the way back to our first. All the way back to Adam. The ship is crashing. 
the longer I live, the more apparent this becomes. <laughs> in a world rejecting God is trying to grasp at anything they can in the natural to make sense of why the world is such a mess. And God has told us all along. We've rejected him. We rejected his way and his kingdom. But in his mercy, he has come. He has made a way of redemption, a way for things to be bought back. And in this way, as Jesus illustrates here several times, there is great joy over any who changes their mind. (laughs) Even over one. It doesn't take a hundred people to bring joy to the heavens. Just one person changing their mind. There's great joy in the heavens. The scope is narrowed. We begin with 99 and, and one lost. And Jesus narrows it to nine and one lost. hundred total in the first illustration ten total in the second. Now his final illustration. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. (laughs) Stop me if you've heard this before. (laughs) Just kidding. Most of us have heard this before. (laughs) Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. I'm a younger brother, I understand this. <laughs> Give me what belongs to me, Father. A <laughs> um, couple of things. Uh, culturally, the elder son has a particular uh, place in the family uh, where he is responsible uh, for, the, um, for the family and responsible for uh, how things would be separated when the father dies, uh, that sort of thing. There's a particular blessing and prominence that belongs to the firstborn son, So this is itself in his story a somewhat offensive thing for the younger son to be like, I mean, uh, also like, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now uh, sort of thing, right? So this man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. I don't want you to miss that. He divided to whom? To them his livelihood. They both received their inheritance. Them. He divided to them. Both of them. The older and younger son. And, verse 13, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. It's a bit redundant. Prodigal means wasteful. I grew up not knowing at all what that meant, but very simple. It just means in wasteful things. Uh, there He wasted his possessions with wasteful living. That's why it's redundant. (laughs) But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want, right? He began to need because he had wasted all of his inheritance, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and everybody boo hiss at that, right? Because pigs are unclean, right? This is Jesus, a Jewish Messiah, speaking to Jewish people, and when they hear pigs, they're like, whoa, whoa, pigs? Pigs not clean, bro. That's against Torah, right? 
but he's in a far country. Do you get the idea here? He's outside of, he's away from everything that has to do with Israel, away from his family, away from his people. He's wasted his inheritance. And now he's reduced to feeding pigs, these unclean animals, even by Moses' law, by Moses' standards. He sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods, (laughs) the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. This is a uh, sad state of affairs. (laughs) No one gave him anything. Verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, "How, How many of my father's hired servants? This is that younger son feeding the pigs. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Sounds to me like he changed his mind. You sound that way to you? He got his inheritance. First, Dad, give me what's mine. He goes and blows it, wastes it, leaves his family behind, not a care in the world. So it seems. Then he has nothing, and there's famine, and now he's feeding swine. He thinks to himself, even my father's servants have it better than this. (laughs) In fact, I can go back, and and not only, I'm not even going to claim to be a son, I will just be a servant of his. It sounds like his mind has, has changed, even about who he is. His statement, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That sort of humility. God, God, would you fill your church with that kind of humility? He arose and came to his father. Verse 20. He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This is such a delightful story. I hope that you internalize it. This is not your friend on Facebook telling you what they think. This is not some Twitter professor tweeting all of their accumulated knowledge This is Jesus, the Lord of glory, using a parable to illustrate to you the very heart of God. The father sees his son who wasted everything he had. And he runs. He runs out to greet him. This is good news. His father saw him and had compassion and ran ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on. <laughs> and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this son, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This is the same point he made in the others. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. Womp womp. <laughs> now we can deal with the other, the other son. <laughs> Keep in mind who's speaking. This is Jesus, the Jewish prophet, speaking to the nation of Israel, who many of whom are rejecting his messiahship. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. Remember, the criticism leveled against Jesus was that he receives, what, tax collectors and sinners. How dare he? Kind of like this father receiving the wasteful son and making Mary rejoicing that he had returned from death to life, the father says. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, that older son. And he said to him, your brother's come <laughs> because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. This is, if you, I hope that you can understand this. This is a leveled statement about the rejection of the nation of Israel of their Messiah. He's repeating stories like this over and over and over and over again to them. Because judgment was coming. They were rejecting him. <clears throat> he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, you can hear the contempt in his words. As soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. Remember the beginning of the parable? The inheritance was divided among both. Everything that, that the father had belonged to that older son who remained with him. You are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is was lost and is found. If I could say there's a, any problem with Jesus' illustrations here, 
how dare you? I know there's not an actual problem, right? <laughs> uh, I want to bring to our attention this idea, as Jesus mentioned, that there is more uh, rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And uh, remind you of what the scriptures teach us in, uh, in what Paul teaches us in, in the book of Romans. I want to read to you a little bit from the book of Romans here, and then I'm going to read um, from Ephesians uh, as well. And then we'll finish up today. <laughs> Everybody look at your watch. I know. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Give Kelly Sunday off. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> so Paul says this as he writes uh, to the church in Rome. in uh, Romans chapter 3. Paul says this, What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision that belonged to the Jews? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God, the sayings of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God powerless, without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Lots of people want to judge God. <laughs> He'll overcome all the judgments of men. But if our unrighteousness Speaking as a Jewish person, Paul writes, If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God is increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. The idea that Paul is bringing to his Roman hearers is the idea that if um, God's um, grace is magnified by the fact that we have sinned and been rescued, uh, then why, as some say, why can't we just say, then let's keep on sinning so that God can be seen as even more gracious, right? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Paul's like, absolutely not. It's maniacal. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? <clears throat> he continues... Um, he says, what then? Are we better than they? Speaking of the Jewish people being better than Gentiles, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin, as it is written. Here is um, Paul's quotation. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does. Who, who does. There is none who does. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps 
is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh, no body will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus, the Messiah, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in the Messiah, Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul has long run on sentences. (laughs) All of these clauses say so much, right? And I encourage you to continue reading through those on your own time. The problem, if I could say it that way, of Uh, Jesus' stories is that he says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 just persons who need no repentance is that there are no just persons. (laughs) We're all sinners who need repentance. And by the way, that's the point, right? We need to change our minds. And not us only, but others also. I want to read to you uh, now from Romans uh, chapter 10, and then I want to read to you from Ephesians, and then we'll, um, we'll wrap it up here that. Romans 10, Paul says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted or bowed down to the righteousness of God. For the Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. He says this, The man who does those things shall live by them. But the the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring the Messiah down from above? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring the Messiah up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be rescued. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that statement is equally true now, just as it was then. Don't get confused what the purpose of God's work, his kingdom, his church is here. It is that he is calling sinners to repentance. We have a great opportunity to demonstrate with how we live our lives and the way that we use everything that God has given to us to demonstrate what his kingdom is like. Because we want people to enter this everlasting, perfect, wonderful kingdom. This kingdom of resurrection from the dead. Paul continues there in Romans 10. And he says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without an announcer? It's translated a preacher, but that's anybody who makes an announcement. <laughs> uh, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce, who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, Paul writes, of the evil one. We are dead in our sin, and it is our Messiah who makes us alive, and not only us, but all who call on him, and we will trust him. He gives us the guarantee that as we are united together in the likeness of Jesus' death on the cross, so too we have the promise that we will be united together with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you not know that everyone's still dying? No matter what advancements we come up with, the final enemy is death, and Jesus has overcome this is great news. Not a list of rules for you to keep to finally be there one day, but a trust that you place in him because he has done it all for you. And he receives sinners. But it's not only me who need this. It's my family, it's my friends, and my co-workers. Paul, Paul says this in the book of Ephesians. We'll finish up with this. Maybe. <laughs> Paul says this in Ephesians 2. And you, and you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But... God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with the Messiah. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in the Messiah Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. In the Messiah, Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in our Messiah, Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. (laughs) Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the body, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without the Messiah, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in the Messiah Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, both Jew and Gentile, into one body, 
and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his body the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So what do I want you to do? shown us that we have a good father who even in spite of our wasteful prodigal living runs to meet us ready to receive whatever moment you find yourself in (laughs) and whatever failure whatever failure you have lived and whatever disobedience He is ready to receive sinners and to bring us into his kingdom, a kingdom that he has promised endures forever. It is not like the kingdoms of this world. (laughs) And not you only. (laughs) Your friends and your neighbors, your children, brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and parents. If we think that we can have a place in God's kingdom because we keep the rules, then we have rejected the gracious gift of Jesus. you get to be in his kingdom because he kept the rules and he laid his life down. All our hope is in him. When I have that attitude, I'm less likely to approach people with an arrogant attitude that says, well, get your act together. (laughs) And I'm far more likely to be humble and to say, Jesus rescues sinners. (laughs) And we pray that he would do such for, for those around me too. Father, I thank you for your kindness to us. I, I pray that the reality of these stories would be impressed upon our hearts and that we would hear